1: And this is Thursday, February 4th, 2016. I can't believe January's gone already. Uh, This show is directed at both lawyers and to an extent homeowners, but remember the introductory comments that nothing stated by me or my guest, Patricia Rodriguez, should be taken as legal advice on your case. You should check with a licensed attorney who is licensed in the jurisdiction in which your property is located and consider it with with them. I would also say that you need to consider who you're consulting with as a lawyer. Many lawyers have uh, misinterpreted the uh seal of rescission statute, and they see it as a substantive statute, which it does have substantive uh, results, but it's a procedural statute more than anything, and we're going to get into a little of that uh, tonight. I'm going to get into it in my blogs, and the show next week will be devoted to uh, solely to what happens after uh, rescission. My phone and email continue to vibrate as more and more lawyers are getting closer and closer to understanding the procedural steps of rescission. Patricia Rodriguez is a California lawyer and joins us again. She's been a previous guest tonight to talk more about the steps of rescission. And we'll be talking about the TILA rescission rules of the road, as I call them, for some weeks uh, from now on. I'm broadcasting live from Broward County, Florida, brought to you by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, Lending Lies, Amgar, and the Garfield firm with offices in South Florida. And this show is special brought to you because of donations to the Living Lies blog from listeners like you. Thank you. And for those of you who are not yet contributors, we ask that you call 954-495-9867 and pledge whatever you think you can afford. Or on the blog at www.livinglies.wordpress.com, there's a button you can press to make a contribution. On the West Coast, you can dial 520-405-1688. If this show and my work on the blog has value for you, then please make a contribution to help us continue helping you and all other consumers. <clears throat> and if you're looking for active assistance, then you can call our numbers and schedule a consult a or review or both, or what, uh, litigation support or whatever you need, Um You can also get a full report on title and securitization. If you haven't already done that through somebody else, you can get it through us along with commentary on how it applies to your case subject to review of your attorney. I would say that there are quite a number of vendors out there who can produce that report now and that it's pretty solid. Some years ago, I was saying a lot of them were not producing Uh, valuable information. Living Lies, with 11 million visits, is the number one... Well, it's more than 11 million now. ...is the number one place on the Internet to get information, opinions, from a variety of sources on foreclosure defense, consumer loans, and even student loans. Our mission is to share as much free information as we can to help homeowners and other consumers who find that in addition to house or car or TV, they bought a very complicated financial product. And we are succeeding as more and more lawyers and judges across the country smell blood in the water as they realize that things are not what they appear. And lawyers are realizing that there's a winning strategy in both foreclosure defense and rescission. There is gold so-called bank errors that I have said from the beginning were intentional bank errors I know how they work Normally, there's noise uh, Patricia in the, in the background that's coming from your end I'm not sure why uh, let me remind my listeners here that nothing stops a foreclosure sale or a foreclosure order except a court order no letter, no pleading, no anything will stop the foreclosure from proceeding or stop the forced sale of the property. Only a court order will do that. In bankruptcy, that court order is automatically issued as soon as the bankruptcy is filed, and I would suggest that uh strongly urge you to seek the advice of bankruptcy counsel uh, before you use that remedy. And the same thing applies to rescisions, except that it is reversed. The court is not allowed, which means it is violating the law, to ignore a rescission. A lot of courts, especially out in California, and you'll hear a little bit about that from a Patricia, who are ignoring the rescission but not vacating it, which means that they're ruling after they've chosen to ignore the rescission, is void. The rescission is law, effective by operation of law, same as any court order. A court may not rule on foreclosures without going step-by-step through the, the TILA rescission procedural steps. I was talking about the changes over the last few months with dozens of lawyers across the country who litigate in many states. And we're in agreement that the Jessenowski decision and some others have either created a huge vacuum or a new world order. One of the things I recently uncovered is that Radian is offering rescission insurance, has been since 2014, so that Investors will continue to buy mortgage-backed securities. Investors still haven't figured out that the pieces of paper they're buying are worthless because the trust is never getting ownership of, uh, of any assets, much less loans. Things are changing as we get closer to demonstrating that the entire securitization scheme was a hoax and that there is no real party in interest in these foreclosures. In the final analysis, it is my opinion that the banks have stepped on a rake again. And rescission is one way to expose the emperor with no clothes. When it comes to standing, there are more ways than one to skin that cat. But the only way we're going to get there is with real knowledge, not just opinions. And that's why I'm promoting people who are doing seminars and otherwise educating people and also litigating to success. Patricia Rodriguez joins me tonight as a practicing lawyer in California to give everybody a glimpse of what it takes to organize a case, categorize it, and make decisions on strategy and tactics. On her seminars, I've seen her seminar materials, and I'm impressed. She nails the one area in addition to her knowledge of rescission She nails the area that lawyers generally don't do very well at, organization, a business model, and keeping track of the pertinent points in each case so the lawyer can pursue strategies that are most likely to get traction. Patricia is obviously the lead attorney in the Rodriguez Law Group uh, located in Alhambra, California, And her telephone number is on the blog that announces this show. It's 626-888-5206. Patricia, welcome back to the Neil Garfield Show.
2: Hi. It's so great to be back. It's my pleasure to be here this evening, and I hope to be able to talk mostly and mainly about rescission, although there are a lot of things, you know, that banks are doing wrong and that we can go after them for. I think the almost silver bullet, if not silver bullet, is now rescission, so I'm I'm here and ready to talk all about it.
1: Well, let's start with the basics. Um, I've had my own explanation of this, but it might help to hear it from somebody else say it in a somewhat different way. What is TILA rescission?
2: So rescission is where a borrower has taken out a loan, and at closing, at the point where they're given particular documents and there are certain things that are disclosed to them, certain material disclosures aren't provided. So for instance, the right to rescind the loan, that's a material disclosure. That's something that has to be disclosed to borrower at closing per the statute. Other material disclosures would be things like an adjustable rate mortgage or an interest only. There are uh, numerous ones that are outlined within the statute. And first, what triggers the statute is that those material disclosures were not provided. Once those material disclosures were not provided, the law further says that the borrower has the right, within three years of the consummation of this loan, to rescind it. And that rescission means to take it back, to put everyone back in the place they were before the transition occurred. So that's really how you can understand rescission. You're rescinding, you're reversing, you're taking back what has happened so as to put everyone back in the same place.
1: Yeah, uh, the, the word in the statute is the loan contract is canceled And the words in the regulations for the statute is that the note and mortgage become void uh, as of the time of mailing of the notice of rescission. And that includes, uh, and now I have a majority of lawyers agreeing with me, at first they disagreed, that includes defective rescissions because Justice Scalia made the point in Jesinoski that there is no distinction in the statute between disputed and undisputed rescissions. So let's go to that issue of the three years. (coughs) We know that the three years is dated, the clock counts uh, uh, from the date of consummation. So what is consummation?
2: Right. Really quickly, I want to piggyback on what you were just saying, too, that I agree completely that once the notice is sent by statute, by operation of law, the bank is required to return the monies and do certain other things within 20 days. Otherwise, the loan has been rescinded. Whether or not the rescission was effective or not, the, the loan has been rescinded if the statute has been fully complied with on the side of the borrower. And so as far as consummation is concerned, because this is the uh, standard defense that the other side wants to bring up, now that they know that, they're, that they have violated the statute clearly on its plain language, they look to have the court impose this statute of limitations. Except the statute of limitations does not even begin to run or is in any way implicated until first alone has been consummated. And in this instance, you cannot see the loan being consummated because there was never a meeting of their minds. There was never a binding contractual obligation. And that's due to the fact that the True creditor in interest, the true party in interest was is not at the table. It's currently still not at the table. And so it has never been at the table. If that party that the borrower believes that it is truly contracting with has never existed, doesn't exist, and wasn't at the table, then the loan could not have been a meeting of the minds. It could not have been a contractual agreement. And thus, the loan has not to date been consummated, and those statute of limitations hasn't even begun to run.
1: That is very well stated and, in fact, I think it's better stated than some of the ways I have done it. Uh, you're right, of course, that um, these table-funded loans were concealing an underhanded arrangement in, w- in which a hidden lender or source, if they're not a lender, uh, of the funds was involved. and. The this hiding of the, of the real lender was one of the main points in the original passage of the Truth in Lending Act 50 years ago, because the banks were already playing games with that. And the reason they were doing that is to protect themselves from liability uh, for predatory or fraudulent loan practices. So they'd have somebody else that they push up in front. And that's why knowing who you're doing business with is a key element of the Truth in Lending Act. And let's remember that the Truth in Lending Act is the law of the land. It's not something that some state judge can say, well, that doesn't apply in my courtroom or in my state or my county. So... um Let's go on with that same train that we've been work, uh, working on, Patricia, and I'll ask you, what is the statute of limitations? What does it do?
2: Right. So the statute of limitations is really a defense to the application of the TILA requirements in the statute. What it's saying is is that, and this uh, can also exist if you have a breach of contract claim, there are lots of various types of laws that the court puts a limit on how long the statute uh, takes effect. So, for instance, um, in a contract claim, if there was a breach of the contract, you have four years from the time of the breach to bring your lawsuit. In the context of the TILA statute, from the consummation of the loan, the borrower has three years, seemingly, to rescind the loan, to send the notice. And the TILA statute further says, from the date that you send the notice, you have a year to file a lawsuit to enforce that notice. Except in some instances, the statute of limitations may not be triggered. It may not even start to run yet. If it has started to run, there may be a basis to toll it, to stop it. And in the case of rescission, one must look at not only the Supreme Court case, uh, Janoski, but also the Oregon case interpreting the Janoski decision. The organ case, and I don't have the uh, name of the case at this time, but I will get that for you, and, and you can post that on your blog. Um, but there is an organ case, a seminal organ case that came out after Janowski, basically saying that a borrower did not know that they had these claims, that these claims even existed. Why? Because let's say you took your loan out in 2005, 2006, and so your statute of limitations seemingly would have ran out in 2008 and 2009. Except there was all of these various cases coming out in the federal circuit courts, federal district courts, saying that not only did you have to send a notice, but you had to send the notice and you had to sue. Now, it's only in 2015 when Janoski and the Supreme Court said, no, all you have to do is send out the notice that a borrower even knew that their claims existed, because up until that point, they would have thought that they needed to send a notice and a lawsuit. But in fact, that's not the case. So the Oregon court said, you didn't know until the Janoski decision that your claims even existed. So this is a basis for you to be able to rescind your loan now, and it's a basis for the statute of limitations to not apply if you rescinded previously and didn't bring a lawsuit within the first year. So there is an organ case. The Janowski decision is really a basis for tolling the statute of limitations. It is really the basis for your claims arising and existing at that point. Now the Janowski decision came out in twenty fifteen, January. So you are reaching that year point as of January 2016, so it is important that if you have rescinded the loan, that if you're contemplating rescinding the loan, that you do it sooner than later, because in the Oregon case, the, the judge made a specific note that, now, and this was on a motion to dismiss, this was not a, a Ninth Circuit appeals case, this was a order on a motion to dismiss, but the court noted that the borrower brought their claims extremely quickly after the Janowski decision. And they didn't wait. They didn't come in with unclean hands, and that was very important to the court. So it's important that if you have rescission claims that you bring them as soon as possible. If you are intending to rescind the loan, that you do it as soon as possible so that you get the benefit of just having accrued because the Janoski decision has recently come out.
1: I think that's a good explanation of it, and I think also that we have to uh, uh, remember that the these are procedural elements that are stated in the uh recision rescission statute fifteen u s c sixteen thirty five and that even if you're wrong about counting the time consummation uh or other elements of you know what a good rescission would be, it's still effective the moment it is mailed and it becomes permanent when the 20 days has expired for either uh, the uh, uh, compliance with the statute, with the three statutory duties of return of the canceled note, release of the encumbrance, paying back, disgorging all the money the borrower ever paid, and paying back and paying to the borrower all monies that were paid as compensation arising out of the origination of the loan now i I will be the first to say that I doubt time soon that anybody's going to see that result, but given the twenty day window of opportunity provided by uh 15 U.S.C. 1635, it would appear that they've blown any opportunity to raise the statute of limitations or any other defense because, and now I've got, I think, a majority of lawyers on my side, uh, because any other interpretation would either conflict with the statute and the uh, Reg Z and what the Supreme Court said, that the rescission is effective when mailed. And it would also conflict with the specific finding of in Jesinoski that no lawsuit needs to be brought by the so-called borrower, and one of the interesting things that you bring up, Patricia, here, is so we've got <clears throat> kind of a vice that we can put the banks in, and we got a little more power on our side because of this. Because if there was no consummation, <clears throat> then there was no loan contract, and there's nothing to rescind. <clears throat> Excuse me. But it's also true that the note and mortgage are at least voidable in such a situation, and probably just void. And at the same time, if they say, no, there was consummation, then they've got to prove the consummation by showing when it was funded and by whom, and when that was. And in order for them to do that, they would first have to establish their standing without the use of the note and mortgage, which are void already as of the date of mailing. So a real creditor, and that's the point of the statute, knowing who you're dealing with, a real creditor to whom the debt is really owed, they're the end of the line, would have to bring the claim. The banks can't present any party that fulfills that definition because they put all the money in a giant food processor, and they have no idea how to attribute the money that they took that should have gone to the trusts and tie it to a specific uh loan so the the Oregon case I think is interesting, but Uh, would you agree that it's more likely than not that most courts are going to try to find a way to use the three-year repose or limitations or expiration or whatever you want to call it and uh, treat it restrictively so that if they can get out of the rescission, they, they will?
2: Well, certainly, I think that the courts, you know, don't want borrowers getting their properties free and clear with no lien, despite what the law says. So courts are going to impose a statute of limitations where it doesn't apply. And that's what's going to be required. A lot of appeals cases that I think the Supreme Court will be interested in taking up if the Court of Appeals doesn't simply tell the lower court that it's wrong. I do agree that it is a two-step argument, that the first argument is that the banks have lost standing to assert the statute of limitations if the rescission notice is not properly responded to within the 20 days. I mean, seemingly within that 20 days, if they didn't believe that they needed to respond with returning the canceled note, disgorging the monies, and reconveying the property, then they could bring a suit themselves in that 20-day period, and they could, in that way, preserve their defense of statute of limitations. However, if they don't bring suit within that 20 days to preserve their rights to the statute of limitations, then when they try to bring that or raise that as a defense later when the borrower has brought suit to enforce the rescission, I don't believe that they have standing to do that and certainly can, uh, you know, present that to a court, and I anticipate a court agreeing with that position. I think, alternatively, if they don't agree with that position, then you go with the position that the loan hasn't been consummated, and thus, you know, in conjunction with the first argument, you know, they lack standing to bring up the statute of limitations, and consummation hasn't occurred for the statute of limitations to even be triggered.
1: Of course, the uh, issue that I would want to uh, bring up here, we only have a couple of minutes left, um, is that, we're talking about a lawsuit that doesn't have to be brought by the borrower. It has to be brought by whoever is saying they're the lender. In order well, it the- depends
2: on the... Right. Well, it depends on the state, right? Because in the state of California, you, what you're dealing with is you may have rescinded the loan, but if they start the non judicial foreclosure process, you may need to bring a uh, suit as the borrower to enforce the rescission to stop the non judicial foreclosure. Mm-hmm. That's the scenario that, I was envisioning.
1: Yeah, that's different than a suit to make the rescission effective, though. Because the law Correct. is. Correct. Absolutely. No.
2: Right. And, and on that note. Yeah. I was simply going to say that we currently, you know, the firm, as I was mentioning to you earlier, now have a case on this very issue that is currently before the Court of Appeals in the Ninth Circuit, and it's post Janowski. so the oral arguments on that matter are on February 24th, and we'll be interested to see how the court rules. We anticipate the court... Uh, sending the case back and overruling the lower court's decision to dismiss her claims because she actually rescinded within the first three years of origination and the, the court's ruling was that she didn't file a lawsuit all she did was send the notice so it falls squarely within the Janovsky decision that her sending a notice was enough
1: right I can okay, we're running out of time here Uh uh, Patricia, I want to thank you for coming on. I want you back again so that we can expand some of these and help lawyers out there who don't quite get it. Um, and I thank especially all the lawyers and other professionals that have contributed to my understanding and my material on my blog. I'll see you next week. Thank you, Patricia, and uh, good night to everyone.